you have a Bible, would you turn with me to John chapter 11? John uh, chapter 11. Instead of uh, reading this whole passage um, up front, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to read a couple verses at a time, pause, explain it, read more verses, pause, explain, and so on until we get through uh, this glorious passage. So John chapter 11, let me pray, and, uh, and then we'll jump in here. God, our hearts are just filled with joy. God, you did not leave us to ourselves in the deadness of our sin with no hope, but sent Jesus to take our place on the cross to conquer sin, death, and our enemy through your resurrection. And so, God, I I pray just a simple prayer this morning that that we would see the beauty of Jesus in this passage. God, because we know if we see Jesus, we will never be the same. And so do this, God, we pray. Your name, amen. Does Easter work? was the question that was asked uh, to me by a guy that I was trying to uh, invite to Easter service a few years ago at the gym. He said, does, does Easter even work? And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, how does Easter like, impact your life outside of just Easter Sunday? What, what do you Christians do with, with Jesus' resurrection? And in that conversation with uh, with this guy, I was, I was able to explain the, the beauty of the gospel and how the gospel and the resurrection power of Jesus actually impacts how we live our lives day in and day out. That this isn't like the Easter bunny, or the Easter bunny comes out once a year and then he goes away, but the resurrection power of Jesus Christ has the ability to change how we live our lives day in and day out. Well, the question behind that question of does Easter work is this question, is Jesus really who he says he is? And, and is he really enough? That, that's really the question uh, that's before us this morning. Even John chapter 11 answers that question, is, is Jesus really who he says he is, and is he enough? See, John chapter 11, our passage this morning, records a very popular account of one of Jesus' close friends, Lazarus, who was ill, passes away, And then Jesus raises him back to life. Our passage this morning showcases Jesus' resurrection power in a very tangible and real way. And yet there are two characters in this account that, that were wrestling with some very real questions, questions that you and I wrestle with all the time. See, Mary and Martha, the sisters of of Lazarus, were completely baffled as to why Jesus, uh, upon hearing that his close friend was sick, he intentionally delays until Lazarus dies, and then he comes. See, Mary and Martha, in this passage, were were wrestling with that question, Jesus, are are you really who you say you are? Jesus, are are you really enough? Does this whole Jesus thing even work? Maybe you're here this morning, and and you're asking those same questions to yourself, you're wondering, does this Jesus thing, does this Easter thing actually work? Does it actually have the power to change my life? Those are the questions I want to try to answer in our time this morning. So even though Lazarus dies and is raised back to life, I want you to know that 
that this passage is about Jesus. That even though Lazarus dies, he raises back to life. He eventually dies again, but Jesus, even though he died, raises back to life. He never died again, and he will never die again. He's the risen king of kings. So because that's true, I want to anchor our time together in, uh, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I just want to point out four things that we learn about Jesus in this passage. Because in order to understand if Easter works, we first need to understand Jesus. So four things. Here's, here's number one, is that Jesus is for God's glory. Jesus is for God's glory. Look at the, the first four, four verses with me here. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, let me just pause here for a moment and just point out this, this really basic observation about this text, that according to verse 4, the reason why Lazarus gets sick and the reason why Lazarus eventually dies and Jesus comes and, and raises him back to life is not for Mary and Martha's happiness, but it's for God to receive glory. See, this whole point of this passage, in fact, the whole point of life is that God would be praised, that God would be glorified, that our attention and the way that we live our lives would be looking up at God and not at ourselves. See, if the, if the whole point of this passage was, was for Mary and Martha to be happy, then Jesus would not have let Lazarus to die and, and allow them to go through the pain and the loss of their, of their brother's death. See, there was something deeper, there was something beneath that that was driving Jesus and motivating Jesus throughout the way that he lived his life on this earth, and it was the glory of God. And so it's really, really important, even as we think about the Easter story, and we think about King Jesus who comes down and he dies the death in our place and he raises back to life, that was primarily for God to receive glory. That yes, we receive the benefits of that, but we need to start here with God and his glory that he's driven and he's motivated with, with us giving him praise and glory and worth to his great name. That God does not operate based on our happiness, but he operates what's good and what's best for us. And sometimes he allows things for us to go through in this life in order for our attention to stop looking at ourselves but for us to look up at God, at his glory. Imagine what Mary and Martha must have thought as they're with Jesus. Jesus just healed a blind man in John chapter 9. Couldn't he raise uh, their brother to, to life again? And so they were hit hard with this reality that, that Jesus is on kind of a different motivation, a, a different timetable. And if you look behind the curtain at God's glorious plan for humanity, it's being driven for the glory and the praise of his name. So Jesus is for God's glory. Number two, Jesus is driven <clears throat> by love. Now that might seem like, like a contradiction, but it's not. See, one of the primary ways that God receives glory is in the way that he loves us. Notice how this is unpacked in our passage here. Let me read kind of a, a lengthy section here. It says, Verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha 
and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea. Now you can already see kind of some of the love that he has for Martha motivating Jesus to go see Lazarus. So they get Mary and go to Martha's house. Now jump down to verse 21. It says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Now we'll hit more on this in a moment. Now jump down to verse 32. It says, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? I'm going to pause there for a moment and again reiterate this point that, that you, can, you can see how, how deeply impacted Jesus is with this love for others. That even though he's motivated and compelled and driven by giving God glory, he is also motivated by his love for us. Look how he loved Lazarus, how he loved Mary and Martha. Even the Jews point out, look how he loved him. Jesus was moved, emotional. He was deeply disturbed in his spirit upon his friend dying. And so even though Jesus is motivated by, by God's glory, please hear me this morning, that God deeply cares for you. He deeply cares with what you're going through in this life. That the God of the Bible is not some detached, far-off type of power who's sitting on his throne with his arms crossed, frowning, shaking his head, looking at you with disgust. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, who is love, has such a ferocious affection for you that even though he knows everything about you, he knows all of your secrets, he knows everything that you've ever done, yet he cares so deeply about you that he has orchestrated this glorious plan for him to receive ultimate glory by sending his only son to die for your sins so that you can be rescued. That's how much God cares for you. That's how much God loves you. And yeah, I want to be clear here that God loves you not because of you, but despite you. That God loves you not because you're so great or because I'm so great, not because we're so wonderful, but because it's his nature to love. See, God's not some uh, stage five clinger ex-boyfriend up in heaven who, who is pretty desperate for our love. Like, like his life is over unless we love him in return. That's not the God of the Bible. God loves you not because you're great, but because he is so great and it's his nature to love you. And, and that's really good news. See, if, if God loved us based on us, then his love would go up and down. Then, then his love would be dependent 
on our obedience and our performance. And yet Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It says God, God showcased his love. How? When we were at our worst, when we were sinners, that's when Christ died for us. It's not when we cleaned ourselves up. It's not when we kick a few bad habits. It's when we were at our worst, God loved us and sent his son to die for us. That means God's love is not dependent on us, that God loves us even at our worst, that God doesn't love some, some future version of yourself, like, like your best version of you, your most cleaned up version. He, he doesn't love that future you. He loves the you that's sitting in your seat right now with all of your issues, with all of your sin, and with all of your brokenness. God loves you. Deeply, deeply cares for you. And, and that is something to rejoice over, that, that God loves us even at our worst. And there's nothing that God can do or that we can do to make God love us more or to make God love us less. Even in this passage, and we're going to see this in, in a couple verses here, Jesus is going to be standing outside the tomb of Lazarus. And just think about this for a moment. Lazarus had been dead for four days. Think about that smell for a moment. And yet Jesus, as he's standing outside the, the tomb of Lazarus, and, and that stench is just filling his nostrils, it says in verse 36 that Jesus loved him. And what a, what a powerful picture of, of what God does with us as he looks at the way that we live and, and as God just smells the rottenness of our sin, and yet he loves us still. God loves you. Yet not only that, but number three here, just gets better here. Jesus also is offering real hope. He's offering real hope. Look at verses 38 through 45 with me. It says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. So Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Now just try to visualize this scene for a moment. Like this is, I think this is when the story gets a little crazy. Like you've got, you've got Jesus and he goes up to the tomb of Lazarus who's been dead for four days and he starts talking to this dead man. Now, think about that for a moment. Think, think about if you were there and you're watching Jesus tell Lazarus to come on out. Think about what you, what you might have, uh, would have thought about that. I mean, think about the Jews and Mary and Martha as they're watching Jesus talk to Lazarus and, and call Lazarus out of the tomb to come out. Like, I'm sure there were, there were one of two reactions. Uh, there was probably one reaction of, this guy is crazy. 
He has completely lost his mind. Does he not know that Lazarus has been dead for four days? Like, who, who does he think he is? And yet, I think that there was a, another reaction by those people. I think another reaction is that their, their hearts were filled with hope. Their hearts were, were filled with hope. See, they just watched Jesus heal this blind man, John chapter 9. I just wonder if their hearts were filled with, with hope, thinking, I, I wonder if Lazarus is going to come out of the tomb there. Like, I, I wonder if, if Jesus is who he says he is. The, the type of hope that says, I, I wonder if, if this whole Jesus thing is actually true and, and actually works. Then the, the text literally says that, that the man who had died came out. See, Jesus doesn't just offer hope, but he actually follows through with that, that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, now why was, was Jesus able to do this? Now, why was Jesus able to go up to this tomb and, and call Lazarus out? Well, it's because of what he said in verse 25. As he's talking to Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, death has no authority over me. Death has no power over me that I have the true and lasting power over death. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, what's going on here in this, in this conversation, in this scene? Well, just days later, two weeks later, after John chapter 11, Jesus Christ, the perfect, sinless Son of God, is going to get up on a cross and he's going to die for the sins of the world. He got up on a cross. He got up on this, this torture tool that, that was really only reserved for criminals in Jesus' day. And he took the place of sinners. Now, the gospel and, and Easter, that it's good news. I mean, this is something that we celebrate, that we rejoice in. But in order for this to be good news, it, we first have to understand the bad news of this story. That, that the gospel declares that you and I have a sin problem. That we've all offended God. That we've all rebelled. We've all committed cosmic treason against God. And so because that's true, because God is the creator, he has the right to punish and to give out consequences for our sins. See, even though God is love, God is also just. And so someone has to pay for our sin. Someone has to take the consequences. God, God could not just snap his fingers and, and have those consequences go away. He's just. So someone has to step in, either you or someone else. And look, this is, this is the beauty of the Easter story. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the center of Christianity, is that someone else did step in, and his name is Jesus Christ. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus got up on this cross, and he took your place, and he absorbed the wrath of God that was, that was intended for us, that we should have deserved and he paid the penalty for our sins. All of the sin of your life, of my life, of the whole world, Jesus got up on the cross and he took the consequences that we should have endured. Think about that. The perfect son of God, the one who's made everything, the alpha and the omega, the eternal God, got up on a cross and he took the place of us sinners. It's amazing. And yet, the story doesn't end there. Three days later, Jesus is raised back to life. 
what an unbelievable reality that, that death could not hold him down, that, that the enemy was no match for him, that the enemy was, was probably having this party down in hell, and yet his party gets interrupted. It gets interrupted and says, hey, Jesus just raised back to life. You, you don't have the victory. Jesus has the victory. See, Jesus conquered our enemy. He conquered death. He conquered sin, and he holds real hope for those who believe because he has the ultimate victory. He is the victorious king of kings, and he offers eternal life for all of those who believe. That is the beauty of Easter. And if that doesn't do something deep down in your heart, I don't know what else will. That your creator bled and died for you. Amazing. Dr. Donald uh, Barnhouse lived in the 1950s. He was this great preacher in the 1950s. And uh, there's a story about his life that I think beautifully illustrates what Jesus accomplished on the cross. See, when he was about 30 years old, his wife passed away due to cancer. And they, they had three children, and they were driving home from the funeral of, of their mom, of his wife, and they were just overcome with grief. And so he's trying to comfort his, his children. He's trying, to, he's trying to bring hope. So they're sitting in the car, and this large truck just passes by them. And, and so the, the shadow of the truck casts over the car. And so he turns to the children and he says, children, would, would you rather be hit by that truck or would you rather be hit by the shadow of that truck? And the youngest child says, well, the, the shadow of that truck. And then he says to them, he says, because Jesus Christ was hit by the truck of death, your mother only had to go through the shadow of See, what Dr. Barnhouse understood is the real hope that Jesus has for us, that for the Christian, death is only momentary, that we only have to go through the shadow because Jesus absorbed the truck of death on the cross, that he absorbed it, that he endured it, that he went through it, but he also conquered it so that you and I don't have to absorb that kind of death. We only go through the shadow of and so it's Easter Sunday today, and we celebrate a risen king, and yet it's so easy for this just to become kind of a cliche. Like we celebrate this every single year. And so I just want to challenge you just to, just to dwell on the resurrection power of Jesus that he has purchased forgiveness of sins. And so allow that reality to dwell in your hearts, to, to stir your affections, so that, so that the resurrection power of Jesus doesn't just impact Easter Sunday, but it impacts your Monday and it impacts your Tuesday and it impacts the rest of your life because you can have the unwavering assurance that your sins can be forgiven because Jesus holds the victory over sin, death, and our enemy. This is real hope. Yeah, not only that, number four here, I'll close with this, is that Jesus is calling you to believe and follow him. Look at verses 25 and 26. We'll jump back up there in this conversation he's having with Martha. It says, Jesus said to her that I am the resurrection and the life, that whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Then he says, Martha, do you believe this? 
And the beauty of this is that Jesus isn't just offering hope. He's not just offering eternal life, but he's actually calling her to action. He's calling her to believe in this. And, and the reality of that question is that Jesus is still asking that question here today. That Jesus is asking you that question. Do you really believe this? Do you really believe that, that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you really believe that, that Jesus is the only way to, for salvation? That, that you can't earn salvation? You can't work for it? You can't be a good enough person that the only way to, earn, to, to receive salvation is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Do you really believe this? It's almost like Jesus is saying, look, this is so life-changing. This will change the whole trajectory and the, and the direction of your life. Do you really believe this? Will you really follow me? Look, maybe you're here today and, and you're not a Christian. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. That you, you feel this distance between God. And you're wondering, man, I, I want what Jesus has to offer. I want that hope. I want that forgiveness. I want this new life. What, what do I do? How do I believe? I just want to encourage you that in order for Easter to mean anything at all to you, you must first understand your deadness. You must first understand what, what I mean by that is that there's nothing that you can do to earn or, or to get salvation on your own. That it's only by trusting and believing in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you're, you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you want to take that step and you want to believe in Jesus and give your life to him, like there's, there's not some type of special crazy thing to do. It's, it's believing in Jesus that he is who he says he is and giving your life and following him. So this morning, as we, as we close, I just have one last question for you. Is what will you do with Easter? If you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian, what, what will you do with the resurrection power of Jesus? Can I encourage you not to, not to take Easter and kind of put it away until next spring and then, and then bring it out again like the Easter bunny? but to allow the resurrection power of Jesus to impact how you live Monday, how you live Tuesday, and how to live the rest of your life because the victory that Jesus has purchased on the cross can be yours if you place your faith upon Jesus. I mean, I, I know my own story. I know that I was lost, that I was a rebel against God. I was living in shame. That I was living for, for myself and my own kingdom. And yet God, because of Jesus, wooed me to himself that, that I looked at Jesus and I said, I want that. I want that hope. I want that forgiveness. I want the forgiveness of my sins. I, I want new purpose in life. And so I just gave my life to him. I surrendered my life to him. And that, that's my story. And, and yet I just want to encourage this one. If you're not a Christian, that, that story can be your story today that you're not too far gone from, from God saving you and extending that forgiveness to you and giving you new life and new hope in him because of, because of Easter. And so I just want to pray as we close this morning. I just want you to bow your heads. If you're here this morning and, and you're wondering, man, I want Jesus, I want forgiveness, I want that new life, and you're wondering, how, how do I do it? What, what do I say to God? I just want to help, help you pray to God in this moment that if you really want to believe, 
if you really want to receive this salvation, this gift of eternal life, I just want to walk through just a very basic prayer of what to say to God if you, if you want to become a Christian today. So just repeat after me where you are, just between you and the Lord. Say, say something like this, God, you are holy and I am not. <clears throat> God, I am a sinner and I confess to you, God, that I cannot save myself. And yet, Lord, I believe that Jesus has paid the penalty of my sin by dying on the cross for me and raising to new life, that, that he can cover my sin with his righteousness. So just say this to God. I, I place my faith upon Jesus, and I surrender my life to him. Lord, we do thank you and praise you for the free gift of eternal life that anybody can receive the gift of salvation through Jesus. Lord, thank you that you sought us when we were strangers and when we were enemies. God, thank you for the precious blood of Jesus, for his death and the resurrection. Lord, I pray for the people in here who, who just prayed that prayer and gave their lives to you. Lord, I pray that you would walk with them. God, I pray that you would show them what it means to be a follower of you. Lord, I pray that you would show all of us the beauty of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.